This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. Have you ever heard of a copycat killer? It's someone whose heinous acts are often patterned after the despicable acts of another criminal. Well, in 2 Kings chapter 4, we see in many ways a copycat prophet. These rather miraculous events chronicled for us in this chapter, in many ways, mirror the work of Elisha's predecessor, Elijah. But more than just mirror them, they often eclipse them. And as we investigate the work of this prophet, we'll see more the shades of the past, and we'll also see glimpses of a greater work by a greater prophet on our behalf. Just as a summary and using as a diving board into 2 Kings chapter 4, look with me if you would please in verse 7. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debt. You and your sons can live on the rest. Now, in 2 Kings chapter 4, there are many miracles recorded for us from the man of God. This is Elisha, as verse 7 calls him. He is God's chosen prophet for this season in Israel's history, and the latest in a line of faithful men of God who speak out against a culture steeped in depravity and rebellion, against the God who had so blessed this nation. Now, what's striking about 2 Kings 4 is how many of these miracles follow the pattern of the ministry of Elijah. Now, there are four major sections, and each one of them, in one way or another, mirrors the ministry of Elisha's predecessor, Elijah. The two had walked together before Elijah had been caught up in the chariot of fire, and Elisha had requested at his departing a double portion of Elijah's spirit as he quite literally takes up the mantle from the departed prophet. Now, there are four main sections to the chapter. The first seven verses speak of the oil that continued to run to pay the debts of a deceased prophet's wife. When a man from the school of the prophets passed away, his wife is left with his debts. The creditors are coming to seize her assets as part of that collection when she begs Elisha for help. Elisha has her gather as many empty pots as possible. All the woman has of any value is one simple small cruise of olive oil. Elisha instructs the woman to begin pouring the oil from the small canister into the empty pots, and God miraculously sustains the oil such that it fills every pot she has. Elisha then instructs the lady to sell the oil, pay the debts, and live off the rest. Now what's astounding to me is that God's supply was only shortened by the number of pots the lady had. She had gotten, If she had gotten more pots, one has to believe that God would have continued to have the oil fill every last one of them. Now the story is very similar to Elijah's experience with the widow of Zarephath. It correlates very closely. The woman's a widow, she's in debt, her situation is bleak, she could likely starve, and God continues to sustain her because of her obedience to the God of the prophet. The same is true in this widow's story. 
The only difference here is that the stakes are higher because the woman just doesn't have one son, like in Elijah's story, but we learn that she has multiple children. God can do more than the miracle of Elijah and Zarephath. He's able to do more than this lady's expectations are. It is often us who limit God's ability to work in our lives. Sometimes we limit God's supply in our lives by our own expectations. God is prepared to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And sometimes we begin to limit what God can do in our lives. We need to learn to believe God for some more incredible things, impossible things, for he delights in providing for his servants who trust in him regardless of the expectations. And we need to ask God to exceed what we could ask or think, as Paul did. From there, Elisha is commanded to go to the city of Shunem, where a woman constructs a prophet's chamber for him. The woman is apparently wealthy and very generous to Elisha. And as Elisha and his servant discuss what could be done for the woman due to her generosity, the prophet begins to pray that God would allow her to have a son. Now at first, the woman asks him not to pray for this, to get her hopes up. But miraculously, the Lord obliges Elisha's request, and the woman conceives and has a son. Now this prayer for the giving of life is a very familiar refrain in God's word. God is the one who gives life, as we'll soon see. The one who can take it and raise it again. But God miraculously gave Abraham and Sarah a child. He gave Hannah and Elkanah a child. Even Manoah and his wife pray for God to provide for them a child, and God does so. This knowledge has to inform our understanding of the inception of life. You see, it's not ours to give and take. God is the one who does this. And when we kill what God has created, will we not induce the ire of God on our flagrant rejection of his purposes? Abortion is a sin before God because it says that God has or, that what God has ordained, we will reject. Then the woman's fears in asking for a child are realized as the boy has some sort of head trauma that eventually causes his death. The tragic end of the woman's pride and joy is a backdrop for the beautifully dependent faith. The woman knows exactly where to take her grief. She lays the boy on the bed created for Elijah in her home as if to say, this is your responsibility. She lays that grief on God and his prophet. And after her servants begin to ask why she needs to go to Carmel, she just evades their questions and begins to find the prophet herself. Even when the prophet's servant Gehazi comes to greet her, she politely averts his greeting and clings to the feet of the prophet interceding for her boy. Nothing and no one will stop her until she pleads for the boy's life at the feet of the prophet. As Elisha arrives, Gehazi had been unsuccessful in raising the boy back to life. So Elisha enters the room, stretches out over the boy, and begins to pray for God to raise him from the dead. Elisha doesn't stop interceding until the boy revives. Once again, we see unique similarities here. Because the widow of Zarephath's son was dead, and Elijah raised him from the dead. But even here, there is a greater dimension than that story, because the boy's birth had come from the request of Elisha. Now his life had been revived 
at the request of Elisha. Here again, we see the theme that God does more wondrous works than what was conceived in the minds of those present. God exceeded their expectations once again as the works of Elijah, Elisha eclipsed the works of Elijah. Then Elisha heals the stew that was supposedly poisoned. Amid the famine, the people are starving to death, and God provides for his people in unexpected ways. At the end of the chapter, Elisha miraculously feeds a hundred men with twenty loaves of barley. Both of these miracles mirror the work of God in Elijah's life as he sustains his servant through food brought to him, in Elijah's case, by ravens. But even in this way, God provides for his people quite miraculously against the backdrop of a national famine. Once again, God exceeds expectations by feeding not one prophet, but many prophets with some leftovers. So you see, in every one of these stories, God is doing more in Elisha than he did in Elijah. And he's showing that he is able to do even more than they expect him to do in each of these cases. But all of this foreshadows an even greater prophet that was to come, one who would speak against the evil corruption of God's people with perfection, one who would do more significant works than Elijah or Elisha, one who would far exceed the expectations or even bounds of human nature. This prophet would command disciples to take money from the mouth of a fish to pay taxes. He too would raise the dead, even men who had been dead for four days. He too would feed the people, not with 20 loaves of barley, but with five loaves and two fishes. He too would provide for them and have an abundance left over. He was to be the way, the truth, and the life. He was and is the resurrection and the life. He was and is the bread of life. These prophets and their miracles pointed to one who would come and feed his people, not with the bread of Moses, but heavenly bread. His body would be the bread broken for them. For like the prophets of old, the people would reject his message. They would crucify him, but his death would only be the first act. For he would, like the Shunammite boy, be raised to life again. He would be the true prophet of God who would die for their sins and rise again. And even today, he's still doing exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think for those who will trust in him. He will astound those who obey him like the widow and gather empty pots for God to fill his spirit. He will provide for those who will put him first, who will not allow anything to stop them from getting to him and cling to him for hope and, the, and life as the woman from Shunem did. Jesus will heal the poisoned stew of our lives through the fruit of the vine, for he is the vine. He will always give us more than we need as we learn to obey him and trust him, for he is the true prophet, the one to whom every prophet looked for deliverance, for safety, and for redemption. He hasn't lost a step, my friend. Jesus hasn't missed an opportunity. He is still alive and working in the lives of those who will trust him. So God, help us to do just that. Help us to trust you in seasons of distress as the widow, in seasons of abundance as the woman of Shunem, in seasons of despair as in the death of her son, in seasons of famine, may we trust you, for you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. 
for you genuinely are, verse 7, the man of God. In your name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For the show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Have a great weekend. Join us on Monday as together we help you learn to read your Bible.